Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, as we move into the fifth part of our eight C's, and really it's the sixth message in this series. As we turn there, I want to tell you something about the process of arriving at this message this morning. And this is something that in just a, mo- just a few moments ago I was in prayer over because I don't know what I'm going to say next. So it's always a dangerous thing for a preacher, <laughs> not knowing what you're going to say next. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about the process because this message uh, was not intended to be preached the way that I'm going to preach it this morning. When I laid out my original preaching calendar for this series, I wasn't going to preach this message this way. But as I have moved through this passage, it's a very familiar passage to me. I've studied it for years and years and years. The Lord has started to reveal something that I want to make available to you. And so this message may not be as ordered, as structured as some, but I hope, my prayer is, that this message will, uh, that you will see the heart that I've had throughout the week as I've studied it. Because I've noticed a couple things, and I want you to see the contrasting differences Because we should have been picking up on it since uh, the second C, which is corruption. We should have been picking up on this. And that is that every time man is unfaithful, God is abundantly faithful. Every time God steps in and reveals the next step of his redemptive plan, man is desperately wicked. One of the truths that struck me as I was preparing for this message was how desperately wicked We are today. And I say that so that it encourages you to not be depressed about the news, but rather to be encouraged because God's about to step back in. He's always been part. He's always working. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about He's about to change things up. And when He changes things up, this next time it will be in the tribulation. But something else that struck out to me And something that follows with our theme is this. You and I have been charged with making disciples and teaching them all that Christ has commanded us. And as that command is lived out and practiced in our life today, I want to ask you a question. Are you doing it like today is the last day to do it? Or are you waiting to say, well, maybe tomorrow? Because that's the thing that as I began to process and I began to move through this series, and especially in this message, I see where God is moving when man needs Him the most. And we need Him the most again now. But that has nothing to do with my message other than just the process. Dwight Pentecost used to say, Mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. Mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. Today we're going to see a man who is given an incredible amount of mercy. And we're going to see another man who is given that same incredible amount of mercy. One man is going to respond appropriately. One man is going to respond unappropriately. I told you that this wasn't the direction I had originally taken. I would originally intended to look more directly at the covenant. We're going to look at the covenant but only so that we understand what the covenant is. And we're going to breeze through that middle portion of the message so that we can get to the end and we're going to spend time in the beginning because I want to see if we can understand the contrast that we find in the beginning. This is the idea that I want us to focus on this morning, the Lord's continued revelation 
of his perfect plan of redemption gives us passion and conviction in our day of wickedness. Now, I want you to understand that we're not talking about uh, God's plan changing or morphing or becoming different. No, we're, we're understanding that God's plan was perfect on day one, is maintaining that perfection, but for you and I, we are seeing more and more and more of that perfect plan. And as we see more and more of that perfect plan, it's not changing today, but it's about to change when we come to the tribulation. And so we have much to learn today. We walk a fine theological line, and so I'm trying to be careful and pick my words carefully. But I want you to understand what the Word of God says. And so as we prepare to get into Genesis chapter 12, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before this passage today, I praise you for the covenant that you made with Abram and then reaffirmed to Abram, and then reaffirmed to Abraham, and then reaffirmed to his offspring. Lord, we recognize that this covenant is an unconditional covenant. In other words, it is not based upon man's ability to follow it or their disobedience, but rather is based upon your solemn testimony that you will see it through. As we see this revealed before us this morning, we praise you that you are a mighty God, who transcends man's sinful nature, who knows that it's there, and yet still your perfect plan is accomplished. But Lord, we also see a personal side today. And I pray that we would indeed take it personally. Your uh, methods have, have always been the same, using people to accomplish your works. And today you use an individual rather than a nation to accomplish the bringing in of the covenant. But we also see a man who could have been there and was not. And I pray that today we would understand that we as believers have the commission to be obedient. We can choose to reject it or accept it. And either way, there are blessings or um, responsibilities that come with that. But also, there's the judgment that comes with that as well. Lord, I pray that we'd be found faithful today. Give me the words to say that each one would be from you. That they would be true. And that as we walk this fine theological line in certain aspects, uh, that each and every aspect of it would be from your word and would be honoring to you and bringing glory to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning we do tread somewhat familiar waters. As we move into a passage, as we study a covenant that God establishes with Abram, later called Abraham, We are going to spend some time setting the stage, but the thrust of the message will come at the end. It is here where we will see the hand of the Lord working when men are at their most vile to reveal His perfect plan of salvation. This should spur us to share the gospel as we see the wickedness of men increasing in our day and age. You turn on the news and you see wicked, vile men. You hear what's going on in other parts of the world and you recognize that there are wicked, vile rulers, men and women, children. And we recognize that we don't have that much longer. So let's begin with the call. Because God calls Abram. He calls him out. He has a special purpose for him. But where Abram started may surprise you. And the other man associated may surprise you. So God calls Abram. Second, God establishes a covenant with him. God's going to make the covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. Abram can accept or reject the blessings that come with it, but he can't change it. And so we have God establishing a covenant. And finally, 
God reveals his plan, and this comes in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And so we recognize that God is going to reveal his plan. It's, it's a plan that he sets a stage for. He comes back later in Abram's life, and he comes back later when he calls him Abraham, and he gives more information or a little bit of definition to the information. But right now we find Abram. We find Abram in transition, and that's where we're going to pick him up. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 11 as we look at God calling Abram. Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. 31 and 32. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now normally, we pass over this. I have been guilty of doing such many, many times. But as I began to study this passage, and I began to put some numbers together, things didn't quite add up. And so in going back and studying these two verses, I want us to spend some time here. Because we find Abram in transition between Ur and Haran. Because where we recognize where Terah was at was in Ur. Now, Ur was very, very close to the Persian Gulf. And so it's clear down to the south. Haran is way up to the north. It's about 650 miles to the north. And so we find Terah with his family in Ur. He leaves part of his family there and he travels to Haran. And that's about what we know about Terah except a few details. Because there are a lot of interesting unknowns as we prepare for the major transition in the book of Genesis. And that major transition comes in chapter 12. The first 11 chapters are the beginnings, they're the establishments. The second half of the book begins at chapter 12 and goes all the way through chapter 50. There's only 350 years of history there. But there's nearly 2,000 years in the first 11 chapters. So we have a major transition about to take place. God's going to deal with His people in a slightly different way. Instead of dealing with them as a nation, dealing with them as a people in large, we've had the Tower of Babel. Now He's going to isolate one people group out. And the plan of redemption is going to become clearer and clearer and clearer for us. But as we do so, it appears from the passage that Terah was on a mission. Because he's leaving Ur and he's going to Canaan. Notice that it was Terah who was doing that. It was not Abram. Abram was going with them, but Terah, the patriarch of the family, was the one leaving Ur and going to Canaan. Now, we need to understand where Canaan's at. You could draw a line straight from Ur to Canaan, right across Saudi Arabia, modern Saudi Arabia. Guess how far it is. It was 650 miles to Haran, straight to the north, 650 miles to Canaan. So we have two different directions from the land of Ur. But in order to get to Canaan, they followed the Fertile Crescent. And in order to follow the Fertile Crescent, they had to leave from Ur, travel towards Haran, but come back down to the south. They would miss Haran by about 200 miles. Yet that's not what Terah does. Terah goes to Haran. You see, it is unknown if the mission was given to Terah by the Lord. But he is leaving the city of Ur, and he's headed to Canaan. That's his destination, but he never makes it. 
Instead, they go to Haran, not quite in the opposite direction, but well out of his way. And it is here that he settles for quite some time. It appears from the text that Terah had received the command to go to Canaan. That's what it appears like, but I can't prove that one way or the other. It just appears that way. But he got distracted along the way. And I think that there's an example for us to avoid, as you're going to see in a few moments. Because I want to explore and engage in the culture of Haran. Haran is an important city in the ancient world, uh, post-flood world. It served as a main traveling center for merchants and their goods. They had to transfer through there. And so it served as a main place. But it could easily be avoided. And so it serves as an important place, but it also serves as a place that was kind of out of the way, especially for the direction that Terah was going. But while Haran was an important transfer city, shipping city, it was also a very terribly evil pagan center for worship. And it is the center place for the worship of the moon god by the name of Sin, ironically enough. And it appears by the names of his children that either Terah had come from Haran originally or at least had family ties back there because the names of his three children are Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran dies in the land of Ur. And so, and his son is Lot. He continues to travel with Abram, by the way. But they happen to be very near the land of Nahor and they are in the land of Aram which is close to, to our one we are studying, Abram. And so it appears that at least there were family ties back here. This stop along the way to Canaan proved devastating, though, for Terah, as he never makes it to his destination. And if we calculate the ages of the genealogy, we discover that Terah lived in Haran about 60 years after Abram moved on. But this gives us something, this gives us somewhat of a problem. Turn, keep your hands here. Turn to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Because I'm going to reveal a devastating truth about this man, Terah. Acts chapter 7, verse 4. And we have a Stephen, and he's defending his faith against the high priest. He's about to be stoned because he is a believer in Jesus Christ. And in his defense, he mentions Abraham. And let me give you some context. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 2, and we'll read through verse 4. And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory, appeared to our father Abram when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives, and come to a land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died... God had him move from this country in which you are now li- moved to this country from which you are now living. But if we do the math and we understand when Abram left and went to Canaan and we calculate it back, we recognize that Terah stayed alive in Haran for 60 years. So does the Bible contradict itself? Absolutely not. Let's define death. Death is separation. That's all it is. Uh, you can be separated and you could rightly term that uh, if, if we had uh, somebody leave us for, and never coming back, we are separated from them. And so uh, they are as death to us. Now that's a powerful statement, recognize. But as we look at this passage, 
Stephen defending his faith before a death mob says that Terah died before Abram moved. Now, I'll admit that there are several thoughts on what this means. But taking both passages literally, I believe that Terah was separated from God's plan to go to Canaan. Terah had the opportunity to go to Canaan, and he didn't do it. Terah could have been used in part of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, but he refused. And instead, he lost the desire to serve the Lord. And so, lost to God's plan, Abram now receives the command to go. At the first major portion of the book of Genesis, drawing to a close, we find a man who has rejected God's plan. He had the opportunity to go to Canaan. He was headed to Canaan. He was going to go there. But he becomes death to God's plan because of his own sinful desires. And no doubt he engaged in the pagan culture. Abram waits there for some time before God says, Okay, Abram, go on. Go on. Now this is the point where I want to ask you the question. Are you like Terah? You're all excited for the beginning part of the journey. You may have come to know Christ as Savior and and reached out and shared the gospel with them and shared the gospel with them and shared the gospel with them. And then today you're like, I don't really want to go to the promised land. You see, what's interesting about this is in what God tells Abram is not to go to Canaan. God doesn't tell Abram to go to Canaan. God tells Abram, go to a place which I will show you. This is a journey that was started by Terah, who was going to Canaan. That part continued on in his son. Terah could have engaged in it as well. But he makes it to the pagan capital of the moon god Sin, and he stays there. You see, you and I can get to the point as believers where we say, you know what, I like this life. I like what I'm doing. I like uh, what I'm engaged in. I like whatever it happens to be. I like that television show. I like whatever it happens to be. I don't know what that is for you. Whatever that Haran is for you, I understand that it stopped Terah from doing what he was God-ordained to do. And he never made it to Canaan. Is there something like that stopping you from the command to go? The command to go. And now we move into, we move over this major hurdle in the book of Genesis. And we move to chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. You see, the emphasis moves from Terah now to Abram. The Lord will use this family for a special purpose because of the sin of uh, Because of the sin of rebellion, the torch is passed from one generation on to the next. God says, okay, fine. Terry, you don't want to go? That's fine. My plan won't be thwarted. Abram, you're up. Time to go. And Abram takes the torch. Now, the covenant we are about to consider is unconditional, and there's nothing that man can do about that. In other words, the the covenant that God makes, Abram can't interfere with. He can sin. He can disobey, and God will still bring this covenant to fruition. Now, God makes conditional covenants later. And some of those conditional covenants are such as if you sin, you would lose the blessings of this, and you would lose all of the promises of this covenant. That's not the case with this covenant. This covenant, all of the promises would continue. 
Now, Abram has a choice to make, just like you and I have a choice to make. Abram had the choice of rejecting or accepting the covenant. Rejecting would be a loss of the blessings of the covenant. God would just simply move the covenant to somebody else, to the next person in line. Or he could accept the covenant, he could participate in the covenant, and therefore receive the blessings if he obeys this one line. Now, his obedience in no way thwarts the covenant. But it does indeed help us to understand that the covenant has blessings along with it. And Abraham will be blessed by them if he follows God. So, as we think about that, Abraham could lose out. Terah already did. If we follow Terah's negative example of disobedience, we will too. So, Abraham is told to leave his country, which is now Haran. He's told to leave his relatives which would include all of them that lived there, and to leave his father's house. And I think this last one, all of this would have been unnecessary if Terah would have gone on to Canaan. But this last one especially reveals what happened with his father. It's time, Abram, for you to go out and strike it on your own, to be your own patriarch. And so Abram is told to leave. And the Lord's still moving even in the midst of man's rebellion. And that is an amazing thing to me. Man continues to reject God, continues to reject God. We have Abram coming from a completely pagan culture. No idea who God is. The interesting thing is, when you do the rest of the math, that Abram would have lived during the time of Shem, Noah's son. And yet, here he is. In a pagan land, he's a descendant of Shem, living in a pagan land. No doubt Shem is over here uh, preaching the truth, and yet there's paganists surrounding them. This world needs God to move, and God is about to do so. Abram's told to leave his country, his relatives, and his father's house. And in the midst of, God's, of man's rebellion, God is still moving. And we move into verses 1 through 3. You see, now we get to the covenant, and we've read one, so let's read two and three. And I will make a great, make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see, as the Lord establishes this covenant, we see a few things. The covenant is spoken again two more times to Abram, Abraham later, as he's called, and reiterated to his sons and his grandsons. It is unconditional. However, not all of it has been fulfilled today, in our day and age. This moves us into a doctrine called dispensationalism and premillennialism. We are dispensationalists. And this helps us, as we see this covenant, we begin to see the Word of God reaffirming our position, which it should all the time, or you need to change your position. And so part of this hasn't been fulfilled yet, but it's going to be fulfilled. It's going to happen. Because what God promises, He's going to do. And we're going to see that part of the land has never been possessed by Israel. And one day, very, very soon, it will be. And so we're going to see some amazing things as God reveals His plan for how redemption is going to come, but also for how He's going to judge in the end. So let's look at it. There's three aspects to this covenant. We first have the promise of the land. And I'm going to move through these rather quickly. We have the promise of the land. Uh, This first of three parts of the covenant is expounded upon when Abram arrives in Canaan. In fact, when we get to chapter 15, Abram is arriving in Canaan. And God says, okay, 
Look out at what you see. Everything you see and then some is yours. God reaffirms His covenant with Abraham in chapter 15. And so we recognize that not all of this has been literally fulfilled in this day. And this helps prove this dispensational doctrine that I mentioned a moment ago by revealing that our Lord is faithful in completing and Israel will one day receive all the land that was promised to them no matter how many world leaders try to take it from them. In fact, turn over to Genesis chapter 15 verse 8. Or 18 rather. Genesis chapter 15 verse 18. Genesis 15 verse 18. In the scripture, this is what I was just speaking about. Uh, Verse 18 says, And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt, as far as to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now even in the time of Solomon, did Israel ever possess from the river of Egypt, the Nile, all the way to the river Euphrates? No, they never have. So is God reneging on His word? No. Will that happen one day? Will Israel possess all of that land one day? Yes. In premillennialism, in dispensationalism, we call that the millennial kingdom. And it will be literal. The rivers are literal. The rest of the covenant is fulfilled literally. It will be literally fulfilled when Christ comes and sets up His throne and rules Israel. And that is still coming. That day is soon to happen because God is about to step back in. He's always been here. He's been involved. But He's going to take that next step. He's going to say, okay, we're ready now for the tribulation. And at the end of those seven years, then we're going to have the millennial kingdom. And after the end of those thousand years, we're going to, we're going to put a kingdom that is heavenly. And you and I are going to be a part of both of those if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. So we have the promise of the land. We also have the promise of family. The second aspect of the covenant seemed impossible to Abram in his old age. Already more than twice the age of most of the previous eight generations when their children were born. You see, from Shem was 102 when his son was born. By the way, interesting math, if you calculate that out, 20 years of ark had been in construction before Shem was born. So he gets off the ark. Two years later, he has his son. His son only lives for about 30 years before he has a son. And the next one only lives for about 30 years, an average of 30 years for eight generations. And here is Abraham, 75 years old, without a son. More than twice the age of most of them in the previous eight generations, except for Terah, his own father. Not only would he have children, but he would have a family. And that family would be a great nation. What an incredible promise from God. There will be a great nation. So we have the promise of family. Finally, we have the promise of blessings. This is the third aspect of the covenant. And the promise continued as Abram would be made great and would personally be blessed by God. When you consider the times that the Lord reaffirms this covenant with Abraham, we find God's incredible mercy in the midst of sinful and needy humanity. Man is sinful or something uh, strategic has happened in Abraham's life 
where we see uh, that man at its wickedness. Sometimes Abram was the one who engaged in it. Sometimes it was others around Abram. But regardless of who it was, man's neediness and his, his nastiness is revealed. And God comes back to Abram and he says, Abram, remember the covenant that I have with you. And he reaffirms it to him and reaffirms it to him. And then reaffirms it to his sons and to his sons' sons. Despite Abram's struggles and sin, God was still using him. This should give us tremendous hope. And it also should give us the desire to faithfully serve the Lord. Because while Abraham was sinful and he was doing things he ought not to do, he was not like his father, Terah. He said, you know what? Life is comfortable here in Haran. I have all the pleasures I want to engage in. I can do whatever I want to do. I can worship the moon god sin, and I could do whatever I want to do. Abram didn't do that. He said, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. And I'm not, he wasn't perfect. And he committed the same sin over and over and over. Get it through your head. But this man was still usable by God. In fact, turn over to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. And we find some amazing words that I hope is one day could be said of me. Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 and 8. Genesis 25, verses 7 and 8. says, These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last breath and died. In a ripe old age. An old man and satisfied with life. And he was gathered to his people. Did you catch at the end of Abraham's life? The blessings that had been heaped upon him? How many of us at this point in our life would say, you know what? I'm satisfied with life. And we recognize that this isn't the end. That the next life will be so much more satisfying. But Abraham did what he was created to do. And he was satisfied. What a wonderful display of God's incredible mercy and grace to a man who deserved neither. You see, the only reason that you and I would be able to say that we are satisfied with life is because we have God's unmerited grace and favor in our life. Without it, you and I would say, you know what? Uh, Life is ridiculous. I don't want to go on anymore. But with God's incredible mercy and grace. No matter what circumstance we may find ourselves, no matter what events we may happen to be in, can you imagine the strife in Abraham's family between Ishmael and Isaac, between Sarah and Hagar? Can you imagine the heartache of kicking his own son out of his family, and yet at the end of his life, he says, I am satisfied and full. You see, that's God's mercy. That's God's grace. And I want to tell you, if he would have lived like Terah, then at the end of his life, you would not have this sentence. But we have it about Abraham. And we can have it about those of us who love the Lord and serve Him fully. But that's leading us to the emphasis. And the emphasis is found here in verse 3. Because God reveals His plans. And because of time, I'm going to have to move through this rapidly as well. But Genesis chapter 12 again, verse 3. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And the Scripture says this, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I want you to see Abraham's protection. Time and time again, Abraham tested the promise. Twice he lied to kings and lived to tell about it. Multiple times he entered into battle and he lived. Truly, those who blessed Abraham were blessed so much so that when he would sin against them, they would heap him with material possessions. The story of Abraham reveals that God's favor was truly upon Abram. And so much so that even the pagan and godly cultures were in awe and in fear over the God of Abraham. They knew the God of Abraham because Abraham, regardless of his sins, still lived out the testimony of who God is. I want to ask you again, do you live in such a way that the pagan world out these doors lives in awe and fear of your God? Do they live in awe and fear of your God? They don't like you. They may not have anything to do with you, but they live in awe and fear of your God. They should. Abraham's protection was seen multiple times and evidenced in his own life. And Abraham was indeed blessed. Of course, Abraham would be blessed, but so would his family line, which was soon to be called Israel. This special family would have a great king born to it named David. This special family would have an even greater king to follow who came as a child to die as a lamb to redeem the whole world. What a blessing. What a blessing. Can you imagine Abraham in his communion with the Lord? Not knowing all of the fuzzy details out there because God hadn't revealed them all yet, but knowing that something tremendous was going to happen in your family. That one of your children, one of your grandchildren, would be used in a mighty way. And in fact, in a way unlike any other person in this world. To redeem the entirety of of humanity, if they will only believe. What an incredible blessing that would flow from Abraham. And that ties in with the final blessing. All nations would be blessed. All nations would be blessed. You see, all nations can participate in the blessing of this one's family line. The one born in the line of Abraham arrived at just the exact appointed time. Even when sinful men stood by watching, He died as sinful men hung Him on the cross, only to rise again and free us from sin and death if you and I will just accept the gift. You see, you and I have the ability to look back with clear 2020 vision, watching as God reveals one more step in the promised redemption. God's justice and mercy work together to provide a way for sinful, rebellious man to do all that we were designed and created to do. You see, you and I can come to the end of our life and we can say that we are satisfied with life. We can come to the end of our life and say, yes, I know I'm a sinner, but by God's grace and mercy, I have endured to the point that I am satisfied and ready to be taken to my eternal home. I hope by this point in our series that you are seeing a few details of biblical history that should poke and prod you all the time. Like a thorn in your shoe. You can't find it. It just kind of pokes you. just reminds you of your mission and your purpose. 
You see, you and I are to make disciples and to train them to observe all that the Lord commanded. This whole series is entitled Trained to Disciple. You are equipped and you are trained to disciple. And discipleship starts with the sharing of the gospel to someone who doesn't know Christ as Savior. Now, we could at our own choice be made dead to God's plans, as Tara was. By your own choice, be set aside by the Lord, not to be used in His program. But for all the indications, those several decades, six decades of time, where Tara was in Haran, were worthless to the Lord. Let me read it again to you at the end of chapter 11, verse 32. Probably one of the saddest verses in this portion of Scripture. It says, The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Sixty years there. No fruit. Nothing for the glory of God. Sixty years. And Terah dies in Haran. Not in Canaan, where he should have been. You see, that's one choice you can make. The other is, knowing that you will fail the Lord, but you are willing to follow Him, even when in the midst of the command you have no clear direction. God said, get up, Abraham. I want you to leave your uh, nation, relatives, and family. I want you to leave them all to a land that I'm going to show you. So he, he packs up, and he gets the camels ready, and he, he gets his wife, Sarai, and Lot says, I want to go with you. So he says, okay, come along. And he goes, okay, now I'd like to plug the GPS in, but I have no destination. He says, you know what? I remember Dad was going to take us to Canaan. I'm going to, go, I'm going to start there, Now I'll see where God takes me. You see, God may not tell you, I want you here, 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 and here at this time, at uh, 12.05, I want you at, at this point, at this time, to hear right now this message. That may not have been made clear to you at any point, but you said, you know what? I'm going to come worship the Lord today. At 12.05, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing, but I'm going to be here to worship the Lord. You see, even in the midst of a command that you have no clear direction, you still obey it. Because of the blessings that will flow. You see, the world's rebellion and wickedness is always at the breaking point when the Lord takes the next step in His perfect plan. Always at the breaking point. When we imagine that nothing else could happen before God just totally obliterated this creation. And He has the justified right to do so. And just at the brink... God steps in and says, i got a different way. I'm going to spread you out. He had every right to destroy the earth at Babel, and he doesn't do it. He had every right to completely wipe out humanity in Genesis at the flood, but he didn't do it. He had every right to wipe out Adam and Eve, but he didn't do it. He had the right to wipe out the entire world every time Israel sinned, but he didn't do it. But he did take that next step in his perfect plan. And a simple look at our world today, and we see that today may be the day. Today may be the last of this age. And we may be ushering in the next age right now. Despite the wickedness, will you be bold in making disciples?
Will you be bold in perhaps leading the one that the Lord was waiting for before He came back? We have that opportunity. It's, it's by His mercy. It's by His grace that He would use you and I to accomplish such a monumental task. But He does so. But He does so by saying, Go to a land which I have commanded you. Which I'm going to show you. You go, Lord, just show me. I, I want to know. I want to lead someone to Christ. I want you to, I want you to name them for me. Uh, when I get an email today, just out of the blue, I, just, I want an email that has a name. And then I know I can go after that person. Has anybody ever received an email like that? If you have, please check yourself in for psychiatric evaluation. I've never received a name like that. But I tell you what, God tells me to go make disciples. And when I commit that to prayer and I make that the emphasis of the day, I'm wandering around and somebody comes up to me and, and we get involved in a spiritual conversation before I even knew it happened. And then I have a choice to make. Well, I continue on in the spiritual conversation and go, oh, man, I'm late for a meeting. You see, you and I make those choices every day. God says, go to a place I will show you. He tells us, make disciples teaching them all that I have commanded you. That's all he says. We have the opportunity and the privilege to do that as we walk out these doors today. Will you be as Abraham? Sinful, yes. Faulty, yes. But still obedient. Still willing. Or will you be as Tara, who says, you know what, I like life right here uh, in the cool air conditioning, and there's uh, great fellowship here, so I'm going to stay here. I hope not. I hope not. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we wind this message to a close this morning, Lord, this was not my intended purpose when I came to this passage originally. And while we are not Terah, we don't have the command to go to Canaan. While we are not Abraham, we don't have the command to go to a place where you have shown us. We do have the command to make disciples. While the commands are different, the obedience is the same, or the lack thereof. And so I pray that as we recognize this truth, that we would be obedient, willing to lay aside our sinful, selfish desires, willing to lay aside the things that we see as inconveniences step in our way and get angry and frustrated at, instead of realizing that those may very well have been the opportunities for us to glorify you. Lord, I pray that we'd be people who are sensitive to your will. People who are willing to be Abraham's, not Terah's. Help us to glorify you in all that we do and say. Make us obedient before you. And help us to draw near to you and to bring glory to your name. In your son's name we pray. Amen.